Thank you for downloading this podcast from BJOG. My name is Patrick Chen, and I'm bringing you a podcast of the editorial for the October 2019 issue of BGOG. Despite the implementation of electronic fetal heart rate monitoring and labor into clinical practice, the scientific evidence to support its use is questionable. The test requires an observer who is usually a midwife or obstetrician to be able to reliably identify features of fetal heart rate tracing, which is indicative of fetal compromise. Unfortunately, human error in interpreting such tracings has been reported in many cases of adverse fetal outcome. Furthermore, false positive results are common and fetal scalp pH measurement has also been used in an attempt to reduce unnecessary interventions to expedite delivery of the fetus. Despite this experience, the only improvement demonstrated for electronic fetal heart rate monitoring is a reduction in neonatal seizures. One option to reduce observer error is the use of a standardized computer algorithm to objectively identify features of fetal compromise. One example of this is the infant system, which provides different levels of alert from green up to red. Unfortunately, no difference in short-term and two-year outcomes were observed in a randomized control trial that compared children whose deliveries were monitored using this computerized system and those monitored using conventional visualization of the fetal heart rate tracing. In this issue of BGOG, Steer and colleagues compared a computerized electronic fetal heart rate monitoring analysis of the 71 cases of adverse neonatal outcomes from the infant trial with more than 46,000 labors without adverse outcomes. There was no statistically significant difference in the incidence of red alerts between the two groups. A higher level of yellow alerts were found in the adverse neonatal outcomes group but this difference was considered clinically small. Computerized electronic fetal heart rate monitoring was only considered to be valid in approximately 34% of cases with an adverse neonatal outcome. The authors therefore concluded that computerized electronic fetal heart rate monitoring still failed to detect a significant number of abnormal fetal heart rate patterns and that it is important that fetal heart rate patterns should be reviewed in light of other obstetric risk factors. In other words, electronic fetal heart rate monitoring still requires the subjective assessment of other relevant indicators and is an element of art in the practice of intrapartum fetal monitoring. This article is accompanied by BGOG Journal Club resources and a pair of BGOG debate articles. In gynecology, Science has resulted in successful live births following live and cadaveric human uterine transplantation for women with absolute uterine factor infertility. In this issue, Jones and colleagues reviewed the clinical outcomes from the first 45 cases of uterine transplantation worldwide. Questions remain as to whether it is preferable to use live or cadaveric donors, as well as the surgical techniques employed to retrieve the donated uterus and the transplantation technique. There is also a significant risk of graft rejection and there's ongoing work to develop a bioengineered uterine graft to overcome this problem. The UK program for uterine transplantation is starting imminently and Hammond Browning has discussed 
the current criteria employed for selection of suitable recipients and donors. A review of possible future changes to the criteria has also been provided and it is anticipated that the current criteria are likely to be reviewed and debated further as more experience is obtained with this procedure. These ethical dilemmas are highlighted in Goodman's accompanying mini-commentary. It is currently recommended that patients wait at least a year between transplantation and attempting conception with frozen embryo transfer. This allows the graft to be deemed to be functioning normally with minimal immunosuppression before embarking on a pregnancy. Johansson and colleagues have managed to shorten this time interval to six months, and they argue it is possible for this time interval to be further reduced to three months, provided the patient has made a good physical and mental recovery, is receiving adequate prophylaxis for CMB infection, and the uterine graft is functioning well without the use of phytotoxic immunosuppressives. In patients with meyer rokitansi kusterhausen syndrome, there is also a need to create an adequate neovagina in addition to uterine transplantation. This allows access for embryo transfer and cervical biopsy to monitor for possible graft rejection. Coley and colleagues reviewed the various methods of neovaginal creation in patients with a transplanted uterus. They concluded that the use of the laparoscopic Vichetti-based procedure, Frank's non-surgical self-dilatation of the vaginal dimple, or Wharton's Shears-George vaginoplasty without any autogenic transplanted tissue can be used with good results. With increasing knowledge of screening, recipients and donors, surgical methods, and immunosuppressive support for women requiring a uterine transplant, successive live births following this procedure are now becoming a reality. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you for listening to this podcast from BJOG. We have been reporting the best research in women's health since 1902. We are keen to hear your views. Tweet us at BJOG Tweets. You can find more podcasts at www.bjog.org.